Carrie Ghosh. I'm a reporter for Columbus Business First, and this is Crisis Management, a podcast about seeing a business through the coronavirus pandemic. This episode is with Michael Morgan, CEO of Updocs, a health IT company that has built a nationwide communications network for physician practices that complies with federal privacy laws. The 12-year-old Dublin company has added features over time, starting with communications between practices and building toward direct communication with patients, including login portals and secure text messaging. Last year, it added a video capability for the first time, but doctors had been adopting it slowly. Then COVID-19 hit, and Updocs had to respond to an overnight surge in demand for telehealth services, all while shifting its own workforce of 140 employees to working from home. We discuss that and more. Thanks for listening. You launched a telehealth feature last year, and this is just building on everything Updocs has been doing with Secure, first replacing the fax machine, then adding a texting capability and patient portals. So if you could talk about the evolution of the product line and then how we got to where we are today. We've always been focused on just trying to improve and just completely change the way providers and patients connect and everybody in healthcare connects. And so if you think of our platform, we want to be the one place that manages all the communications that happens for a practice or pharmacy. And so we started document management. We added in more traditional patient portals as well as appointment reminders, things like that. Ultimately, though, is they thought about the patient experience actually being a customer experience. We did introduce secure texting and video towards the end of last year. And a lot of practices had been waiting until they understood how reimbursements were going to be impacted before they decided to implement video. And then COVID comes along and then there's a big rush because a lot of them actually had to shut their doors. They had to try to figure out how they're going to actually communicate with patients in a way that could keep patients at home and safe but also keep the providers and staff safe as well. So in the last two to three weeks, there's been a big rush to just try to get video in place and try to help create these virtual visits. You, at the same time, had to send your employees home from Bridge Park, correct? Yeah, we did. So when they announced that the schools were shutting down, we went to what we considered uh, voluntary work from home. And so that way we allowed people to be able to do that if they had child care issues. And then soon as the governor issued the stay-at-home order, we went to mandatory work from home at that time. And so, yeah, so two to three weeks now, everybody's been working out of the house. And how many people are you up to these days? Yeah, so we have about 130, 140 people. Um, So I think even before we went to the voluntary work from home, our internal operations group was great. We put together a committee, kind of cross-departmental. And so we were actually sending representatives from each department home even before we went to the voluntary work from home. That way we could just test out the systems, make sure everything was going to work. So then we went to voluntary work from home, probably 70% of the staff started working from home at that point, and then the other 30. So it was actually a pretty seamless, seamless effort, I think, to go through. But again, it was, it was really a testament just to the, to the folks who was managing that whole process. They did a really, really good job. You have this historic event happen, and here is the product that you already had released now becomes not only essential to many practices, but covered by Medicare. And so no one wants to feel opportunistic, but this was 
about the best thing that could have happened for your business. Although it might be temporary, if Medicare says this is only this is only an emergency coverage, what if they take it away later and people stop doing telehealth? We spent a lot of time talking. And first of all, we did feel fortunate, but not so much just straight to business opportunity, but more, and we're sincere about this, that we have been able to help because this was a product that we'd already built. Uh, we knew the industry was going this way, but pre-COVID, I think I mentioned, a lot of people were waiting to implement the technology until they figured out the reimbursement. When COVID hit, it really wasn't the fact that CMS started reimbursing for it. The demand really started to soar pre that because I think the decision switched. Instead of waiting for reimbursements, they were simply, we just need to connect with these patients. We are closing our doors. The patients are suffering. We literally would have offices calling in almost in tears saying, we just can't even communicate with our patients and, and we need to be up and running quickly. And I think the way we had built the solution, it's super easy to use. Patients don't have to download apps, but the more importantly, it allows the physicians who already have established relationships with their patients, they can put this technology in and start using it immediately. And so the, honestly, they weren't even really worried about, they were talking about, okay, well, reimbursements, what well, is that going to happen? And we're like, yep, we, you see it coming. It's starting because not only CMS, but a lot of Medicaid and a lot of commercial payers are doing it now as well, too. Just the sheer fact of how many people were able to help. And so one of the things we did is we unbundled our, our video solution. Um, we traditionally do year-to-year -year contracts. We started doing month-to-month -month contracts during this time. You know, we made it at a price point that was, people could easily get in and, and start running. So our focus was to get as many people using it as possible to impact and and we have some some really neat stories that I can tell the feedback that we've gotten but just the sheer number that the, the that's actually skyrocketed too and just the amount of reach has been it's just been unbelievable it's really been driving everybody internally just to work really hard yeah it's uh, my understanding that you're seeing 45,000 visits per day through yes. the tool yes and it's steadily climb and it's continuing to, to climb but and again you know pre-covid i mean it was just a fraction because a lot of the uh, you know a lot of people hadn't implemented or started using the technology uh, but yeah so we crossed forty-five thousand visits a day that updocs customers are now using the solution to, to conduct that many visits and so you know when you think about it if you extrapolate that out that's on pace to do about a million in one month and so when that translates to think about all the either visits that either wouldn't have happened and those practices would have lost that revenue or patients would have actually had to expose themselves and come into the office to do that. And so, you know, just that sheer, you know, impact and number of people it's been able to help is just, is, is very humbling. How does it technically work? Because I, I was looking at the uh, demonstration video on your website and it said that neither the provider, or the doctor, nor the patient need to download any software. So how, how do you, how do you install it? How do you get, how do you deliver the product to them and get them connected? Yeah, so literally, if, if somebody wants to start using it, they register, and they can register online. And then once they register, they'll get a link. And so as the physician's office or the staff or the provider, then they now have access to it. And so the metaphor looks a lot like an email inbox. It manages their communications. Literally, at that moment, they can click a button. It's all HIPAA compliant and secure they can either email or text a link to the patient. Now here's the big part because we can talk a lot about this because some people had tried to use Zoom or FaceTime or other things and there's conflict with that because if you use FaceTime as coming from your personal phone, Zoom requires the patient to download an app. So a lot of people who tried to do that, patients were having a lot of trouble. 
with us, you can either email or text that link. You click the link and then you've established a HIPAA compliant video connection. At that point, I can take notes, I can take screenshots, pictures, I can do other things. And so, but the, but the beautiful part is the patient, there's no real training. Literally, you can start using it from the minute you turned it on. And, and that's what was happening. And so we started to go where a lot of times we would do individual training, then we started doing group training, and then we did videos where people could literally sign up and, and just, just start using it. And, you know, there's been amazing stories from, you know, all types. In fact, our VP of development, um, his 92-year-old grandmother actually, unbeknownst to him, their physician was, her physician was using it. He sent the link and it was UpDocs and she knew it was her grandson's company. And, you know, she was able to use it. So it's a great story, right? She was able to stay home. She was able to be safe. You know, she didn't have to expose herself to anything. So before, I think everybody was worried the technology barriers is going to be hard. Are people of all ages going to use it? I think all that's out the window now. It's just such a pervasive technology. That, and back to your previous point, I really think it's here to stay. It's, it's not going to go back. I've actually heard that from a couple of the hospital, uh, interviewed a few chief medical officers, and they yeah. said, we are finding this is a more efficient way to do yes. care. The, the doctors can see more patients than if they had to physically round. Yes. Um, the key features here are, A, it fits into the uh, existing electronic record system. They get to take their notes. So as opposed to, say, just doing what we're doing now using Zoom. And is this what we're doing right now? Even if I added the password to get into the meeting, is it HIPAA compliant? So all those things are what differentiates this from FaceTiming. Yes. Which yes. And, and for example, like FaceTiming come from your personal phone. So yeah, I mean, even if you looked at health and human services, I think they understood that everybody needed to get this technology quickly. And so they did a posting where it said, for a limited time, we're not going to go after people if they use non-HIPAA compliant tools like a FaceTime. And so we originally were a little bit like, okay, is that going to make the industry start to migrate to those tools? But what Health and Human Services did, which I think was very smart, they said, while we're saying that, we actually do recommend that you use a HIPAA compliant solution. And they listed a few out. And UpDocs was actually one of the five or six that they initially listed as a valid HIPAA compliant. And that was great. That gave us, gave us some exposure. We, you know, we didn't ask to be on that list. They just did that, I think, you know, because of our traditional reach. But it basically, I think it gives that security and that, and that value kind of around it. And the idea is it's built for healthcare. And so that's what we like to tell people. I think they did it because they thought ease of use equated to non-HIPAA compliant, we like to buck that trend. We say, look, you don't have to sacrifice security for ease of use. We're able to do all that and bring that together. Was this a, a completely new product or was it iterative on everything that you've built before in this network? Yeah, no, it was definitely iterative. And I think that's the other piece of this. And obviously, as we get through, um, I think our customers see this. And this is part of the story we like to tell because I think a lot of people think about video as just one piece, like what you and I are doing here connecting. But the reality is, is we're enabling physicians' offices with established patient relationships to conduct virtual care. And what we mean by that is inside of our platform, we have the ability to broadcast messages out to entire patient populations to keep them educated. And then you can send them a form or a text when they want to request an appointment. And then ahead of the appointment, we can do a secure text where if I need to exchange any information, ask you questions, take pictures of anything, and then we actually conduct the video, then afterwards, then we can follow up with secure text. So our solution had been built for those multiple touch points for an entire experience. And so 
a lot of people were calling it telehealth or videos or video chat. And obviously, I think that's what resonates with people because they think of this actual interaction like what we're doing here. But the reality is it's an entire experience. It's enabling virtual care. And I think that's always been our vision to say, look, why do you bring all these solutions together into one place? It's because it's not just one point in time, like this conversation I'm having with you, but it's how do you manage that ongoing relationship and being able to do those other touch points as well using other mediums. And so I think that's the other part that really differentiates it from Zoom and some of the other solutions as well too. Right. I mean, they can send you a prescription reminder or do you remember we talked in our meeting, you should do this exercise yes. to help your sore back twice a day. You're worried about a wound. You want to take a picture of it. You know, a lot of times that's why people would go into the office. You can do all those things as well too. Give me a sense of the scale here. I know that you had connected with quite a lot of practices before this and I, I, we haven't checked in in a while. So yes. what was your customer total before COVID and where are you today? When we look at it, specifically on the video, we, I think it's probably be a good way to, to kind of look at the scale because with the video piece, it's important to look at all the individual users that are actually utilizing the video. In a typical month, you know, we may add four to 500 new users that would come in to the system. In the last two and a half weeks, we've added over 10,000 that's onto the platform. So, and that's continued to grow exponentially because in addition to some of the traditional practices we serve, one to 25, there's, you know, one to 25 physician practices, we've continued to serve larger and larger organizations. You're gonna see that, that number grow. But back to the point about working from home, You've got an organization that inside, when we're all working together, we're normally onboarding four to 500 users in a month. We actually onboarded over 10,000 in two and a half weeks while everybody was remote. And so, I, I, it, like I said, it was a true testament. I mean, our first priority, and we're sincere about it, is we wanted our employees to be safe and comply and, and participate with the stay at home and, and make sure we were doing our part. Second, we wanted to help as many people as we could, you know, in the industry. And then third, obviously, we're uh, very excited about the growth in the business and what we're able to, to do there as well. So, you know, being able to bring those, I mean, everybody just jumped in and, and everybody was doing different roles. People were onboarding new customers. We were finding new ways to do that. It, it, it really was, been, you know, it has been a special time. So this is a, a demonstration of the concept of scalability yes. to be able to do that. And how technically or physically are you able to? I mean, is it a pretty easy process to onboard someone or is it, you know, it's not an install, it's not weeks and weeks or no. so. Yeah, I think that's the big key. And so we'd always had a little bit of a traditional model where we would have somebody, you know, if somebody was interested in our solution, set the appointment, a salesperson would demonstrate it. And then we would do a 20, 30 minute onboarding kind of training session virtually. As the demand started to grow, we started to consolidate those where when somebody would actually sell, they would actually do the demonstration, which was a little bit of a training, turn them on live, then they could come to a group training. Then we were starting to do these large web seminars where we would actually have people come in and view it in mass. And now we've actually moved to where they can watch a video and register online and then begin to use it. And so we could only do that because the product and, and just the core of the product has always been simplicity. How do you get up and running quickly? You know, the user experience is very clean. If we wouldn't have had that, we wouldn't have been able to automate these other pieces. But, you know, we spent a lot of time and there was a lot of innovation happening in the group to be able to do that self-service registration and how we 
you know, and how we onboard and, and just generally how we train. So I think we, we obviously had to have the foundation or we wouldn't have been able to do that that quickly, but taking that foundation, a ton of innovation just to, to be able to do that. So. The more easy it is for your users to use, sounds like it's the harder, you know, you're Ginger Rogers doing everything Fred Astaire does backwards and heels, right? So yeah. how hard is it to build a thing like that? It's really hard because, and I think again, it's where we came from. Because when we started the business, we really were serving one to two physician practices. And if you think about those groups, you know, they typically don't have a lot of sophisticated IT resources. So you had to make it really, really easy to use. We've been able to keep that mentality as we've moved up market and served large organizations, but then also expanded the product. And so we really think coming from that heritage, because you have to be so focused on that ease of use and self-serve nature that that really makes it when you want to scale. I think other businesses, if you start at the top and you build something very big for large organizations, requires typically a lot of customizations. And then when they try to move that down market, it's really, really difficult to automate that. So again, I think just a lot of it comes back to you know our heritage and, and where we came from really was really that foundation. So you know we like to think that basically the way we've gone to market, the way we've built the product, just our mentality and how we added that video last year, it all kind of really built to kind of be able to come to this point and during the crisis do a lot of the things to really help a lot of people. So do you actually have to hire or no, because you've been able to build in this uh, self-registration? Yeah, so most of it's been through the self-registration. We did bring in some resources where more on a temporary basis, because as we were building that automation, one of the big things is we really wanted to make sure that we were staffed the right way and customer support, customer service, because what we did is we expanded our support hours. Um, we also started covering the weekends. We're still actually getting a lot of video chats and video televisits happening on the weekend. And so part of what we wanted to do was expand those, those hours. And so we had some temporary resources. That, but the other issue we ran into, which is interesting, if you don't really think about, it's hard to find people to come bring into a company when everybody's remote. How do you train them? How do you onboard them? How do you even get them computers and equipment? And so. One of the things that we did is we actually reached back out to some former employees who had either they were interns or maybe they went and took another job that we were super supportive of and they happened to now be between jobs because of what happened with the unemployment issues that were happening. And so we were able to bring some of them back and uh, basically come back into the company to help. And so it was perfect because we felt like we were helping people, but at the same time, it also helped us because we didn't have the same onboarding and getting people up to speed in the, in the company. What kind of numbers are we talking about there? Probably like six to 10 people. And how do you get them equipment? Because apparently you can't buy computers or headsets these days. Yes. Yeah. No, that was difficult. I would say, again, back to our operations team having some forethought, you know, they did a really nice job. We either had some, some things in stock or they were pre-ordering some things as stuff was starting to break. I, I would say they were, they were very intuitive. Um, about a lot of this and how this was going to work. And so, you know, we were able to do that and then, you know, get things set up as well too. So for that number, six to 10, we're okay. If we wanted to try to add 20 or 30, yes, I think there would be a lot of issues on trying to, to, to get some of those supplies. in. Obviously they have been because of what you're telling me, but how have you as the manager um, helped keep your team connected and productive while being so all, also distant? The thing that's probably been the biggest is it's been very clear how many people that, that were helping. So I think just mentally that, that motivated and been driving a lot of people. 
I think the leaders in the organization have been tremendous. I mean, we kind of started to pretty quickly put together some structure. There was a stand-up meeting every morning at eight o'clock with key people from each group where that kind of the thing that would hit the, the highlights or the main things. Each department was doing stand-ups at 11 and then at five o'clock each day to try to manage those communications. One of the things that I did in, um, and with the help of our communications group, we started doing emails every day in the afternoon around two or three that were basically just trying to give updates to the organization about what was happening. And then we started doing virtual town halls every Friday at two o'clock. And the way we would do those, it wasn't like just a big update. I would talk for maybe 10 minutes or so and kind of just give an update on the business. And then we actually opened it up for people to share stories about just the impact we were having, customer stories. Um, even home stories, because I think a lot of companies are dealing with this too. A lot of our employees, their spouses are nurses and doctors and, and EMS workers and people on the front line. So there's another layer of stress. And so they were sharing some stories. Um, and then we would open it up for questions. So we've done three or four of those now. They, they've been really effective. I think the biggest thing is we've just been really open and, and communicating. I think acknowledging that we know it's hard. You know, we're doing little things where we gave everybody, you know, a $20 gift certificate to use for a lunch that they could buy in. And then we did some virtual lunches where they could share. So, you know, we're, we're trying to do some things to, to just make sure we're communicating a lot. Um, but, but I can't say enough. I mean, just the amount of innovation, the amount of people that stepped up, the people we asked, you know, product people to jump over and do implementations. I just, I mean, across the board, we've asked everybody to do a little bit of everything and, and you know, no complaints. So many people were caught off guard by this situation. At what point were you watching numbers out of WHO and saying, you know what, we better get ready? I would like to say we knew the, the impact. I mean, I, I think we were starting to watch the numbers. We were starting to watch what was coming out of China. I think we put together a committee pretty early and we really had this cross section because we have somebody that leads our talent. We have actually an in-house clinician. She's a pharmacist. You know, we have communications, we have the DevOps. So we actually did that, I would say, pretty quickly. I think, though, it caught us a little off guard, though, how quick everybody was going to have to transition to, to home. And so I think that was probably, you know, the, the biggest. And then really that video aspect in hearing, you know, we started to get a little bit of a trickle of that in from some of our customers. Like, hey, we think we want to do video. We think we want to be able to communicate. That was probably two or three days. And then all of a sudden, it really did hit I think on a normal, you know, day, we get a couple hundred leads in. One day we had 2,000 come in. You know, it was just this mad rush. And then, so I think right then, you know, we all understood. And that's when we went into action to say, okay, the way we had been approaching the market, trying to sell a complete platform from day one in a year contract, just, you know, the people didn't have the mentality. They could, they, they were trying to survive. And so we said, look, let's unbundle it. Let's make this thing really easy for people. Let's get them what they need right now. Our goal and our hope is, is we're going to you know, gain a customer for life by the way we approach that. We want to be able to provide value. Let's get through this. And then you know, we'll, we'll, we'll worry about that on the other side. How does the revenue, is it a, so you say if it's a one to two doc practice, is it a per seat type of charge or per visit? How do you get your money out of this? To, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we've been working through that. I think there's been different models and, and it might be interesting. We can talk for a minute of interest just about the history of telemedicine. But for us, for a smaller physician's office, they actually will pay right now during this kind of period a per provider fee. So basically a fee per basically or anybody who's kind of using the system out of it. When we get into larger organizations, that doesn't really work because you could have hundreds or thousands of providers potentially using it. So there, 
you know, we'll charge kind of fractions like pennies upon a visit kind of a thing. So that way they don't have to think about, okay, who's using it. They can just think about, okay, I want to roll this in and conduct these visits doing it this way. So, you know, we've approached it a little bit different because our mentality has been, okay, let's just make it as easy as possible. And again, to a smaller doctor, there's like, okay, let me just know what I have to pay each month and let me kind of jump in and do this. To a larger organization that's having a lot of people, you know, go through this, then they have the ability to say, okay, let me just use this. I'm going to use it for the visits that makes the most sense. And so, we're, you know, we really worked hard to try to align the way that, you know, the customer would see the value. Was there ever a time when you were looking at what was coming and saying, oh, no? Was it, was, were there worries or things keeping you up at night or do you feel like, you know, you really were prepared and wrote it out? No, I mean, we have to be fair to say, yeah, I mean, I think we, we worried, you know, like other companies. I do think we had probably different worries. And again, it, it's not lost on us. And, and I've been in touch with a lot of the companies in town that I know had to make really hard decisions through this time and unfortunately lay people off to be able to survive as a company. I'll say because our demand took off pretty quickly through this, we didn't necessarily have those same worries that way. And again, we understood how fortunate we were because of that. Now, with that being said, you know, obviously we did worry, you know, we are still controlling our costs. You know, our CFO and the management team's done a good job of, you know, making sure we're really watching just the business and, you know, the way things are flowing through. But I will say we were probably fortunate because our worries were more about, okay, how are we going to get to scale? How are we going to put these things through? How are we making sure we're allocating the resources in the right place to take care of the customers? And I think when we got those virtual town halls, you know, we spent time talking about that saying, hey, look, you know, we understand what's happening in the industry. We understand how fortunate we are. So when everybody's working 12 and 14 hours, there's no complaint because everybody knows, hey, this extra time we're, you know, we're in this spot. So I would say we had worry, but, but you know, we, we fully acknowledge it was probably a little different than, than what other companies, unfortunately, were having to work. What is the path forward? What do you, what do you see happening to the business when, when things do start opening up again? In our mind, you know, we think it's overall extremely exciting because, again, this was a solution we built. We knew it was going to be a valuable part of thinking about an overall communications platform or a collaboration platform. This video and texting is going to be, it's almost like what would have probably taken a year to two years and reimbursements and everything else has happened. It basically, that set of driving, you know, if you think about the different curves, that early adopter curve, what probably would have been a year to take that curve up, that curve happened in two to three weeks. And so it's, I've never seen anything like that in, in business. So I think now as we think about moving forward, it basically just took the same strategy we were on, but accelerated it, accelerated the size of the customer base, the number of transactions and put that in the spot. And so, you know, we've also opened up a number of new partnerships through this. Super excited, probably one of the, I would argue, probably the best ACO accountable care organization in the country. Um, Alidade, run by um, Dr. Farzad Masashari, who was the original ONC chief under President Obama. They selected UpDocs as their go-to platform, and we've rolled that out across most of their ACO now. Other large things like ShareCare, which is the next WebMD, some of our traditional EHR partners. So again, probably what would have taken a year to 18 months for our business, not only the current customers we got in, but also just generally just accelerating the platform, the adoption, the usage, the partnerships, the exposure. So I think now it's our responsibility to how do we take that and then use that to continue our mission forward to helping basically everybody in healthcare communicate more effectively. You go from your 
your roots of one to 25 doc practices to Central Ohio primary care is the largest primary yes. care practice in, I think the country now, definitely yes. in Ohio. Yes. What was last year like? How'd you do? Yeah, what, no. What we, was your, your year over year growth leading into this? So we, you know, we did well. We had another 30, 35% kind of growth, you know, year. So, you know, we were happy, you know, hit the numbers and, you know, we're, we're coming into this year. Um, obviously, you know, all this growth does translate into, into dollars. And so this greatly kind of, as we think about the plan for this year, this probably accelerated by more than a quarter kind of where we thought we would be on, on a revenue side. And so, you know, all that does is again, it just helps us accelerate the plans and, and continue to invest in the business. And, and again, I think the biggest thing too, if I could just touch on a minute, I think it just completely changes the face of, of telehealth too, because we like to think about it pre COVID and post COVID. So pre COVID, the bulk of telehealth, was actually conducted by what you would consider third-party service providers where they employed the physician and an employer would tell you as the employee go to this third-party service and get your care they had success but if you talk to and there's been surveys out there that most of the patients didn't want to go see an unfamiliar doctor they wanted to see their own doctor the problem was their own physician didn't have video capabilities and so that's why when you see some of these third-party service providers you know, they're all excited because they're doing now 15,000 visits a day. And they're like, this is wonderful. This is great. But when you think about it, it pales in comparison now that UpDocs customers are doing 45,000 visits a day. And I think that's a true testament that the patient wants to go see their own physician. So what COVID's done is it's gotten technology into the hands of the physicians. So existing patients can see their existing physician. And that's really the future of virtual care. So we're really excited to be a key part of that. There are things that will carry forward when they're not forced to be in this position. Exactly, yes. And I think everybody's finding it's easy to use, more effective, as you mentioned. And what have you learned as a company that you think will change how you operate forever? That's an interesting, we've actually talked about that. I think, if anything, we were always very focused on our mission. And I think we've always been a really close group. I think what's happened through this though, I think the level of communications, the level of empathy that we've seen between people inside our company and between our company and our customers and our partners, it's just gone to a next level. I mean, we always talk about, about empathy. And I think until you experience a situation like this together, where you're not only just worried about the business, but you're truly worried about the safety of the employees and the UpDocs family. And if people are worried about the other person in the company personally, and then you're worried about the business and you're worried about the part, it's like that just solidifies and, and I think brings people together in, in an experience that if you don't go through that and not. So I think everybody's going to think about just the way we approach. I think we've also tested ourselves about how much we can get done. I think if you would have asked anybody without this situation, could we have accomplished what we accomplished in the last three weeks with even what we have currently, I think people wouldn't have been able to fathom it. I think now there's also a level of confidence just about how big and special that UpDocs can be and the impact we can make on the industry. So I think from all that, as we get through, we know we still have, you know, some challenges ahead. I think as a community, we have some challenges. Everybody, you know, we're still very important in everybody's roles and you know, making sure that we're contributing and, and doing the right thing for the community. But I think as we get through that, you know, I, I, I'm super excited. I mean, the first day that everybody gets to come back to the office, I think there's going to be a lot of excitement and, and hugs if we're allowed to, to 
to hug. <laughs> right. I keep asking people why I have an office at all, but uh, I get the yes. same answer, which is we miss each other. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, anything I forgot? No, I think that was that was great. We we appreciate the coverage and and everything that that you and your organization has been doing as well too. I think if anything through this, we've just learned that you know education and facts you know are very critical to keep everybody level set and level headed through this. So we we want to thank you guys too. Oh, thank you. Best wishes to you and your family. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you. Same to you.